Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. In this episode, which is also the second and last in a series for Space Week, I talk to French astronaut Jean-Francois Clairvoy. Jean-Francois is a veteran of three NASA space shuttle missions, including the one where they repaired a Hubble telescope. Currently, Jean-Francois works with ESA, the European Space Agency, and also Nove Space, a subsidiary of French space agency CNES. A few weeks ago, Elon Musk, from uh, who was the owner of uh, Tesla Cars, he said, mankind is only a brief window to set foot on Mars before disaster. This is World War Three. Is this possible? Is uh, do you agree with this? I should be trying to colonize Mars. In fact, uh, I've been uh, for several years now myself uh, telling people about uh, the various motivations for exploring space. And I used to say that uh, regardless what humankind can do bad for itself, just based on natural events, uh, there will be, at some point uh, in the next uh, billion years, for, you know, Earth has another few billion years to exist with the, in the solar system. Mm -hmm. But there will be natural catastrophic events like uh, uh, super volcanoes or asteroid impact or hyperglaciation or that that will make. Uh, you know, our species disappear on Earth. This is a given. Yeah. We know that before the end of life on Earth, there will be end of human species and mammals. Like there has been five major extinctions in the past, and there will be others in the future, just for natural reasons. If we are if we are wise enough to not destroy ourselves by ourselves, so I I, I used to say that. We don't have an urgent need to learn to live somewhere else than Earth. Uh, we have thousand, hundred thousand, maybe million years. But if we don't start, we will never get the solution. But if we want to, the human species to to exist over uh, its limited life period on Earth, we need to learn to live somewhere else. Yeah. But I, I don't. Uh, I, I, I never uh, put it as an urgent matter to solve now, like yeah. Elon Musk is doing. But the, the, the deep, uh, the deep end. Uh, I mean, the, the deep uh, meaning of his uh, talk is true. I mean, if we want the human species to exist uh, eternally, we need to learn how to live somewhere else. And uh, it's very difficult. We don't uh, we we don't know how to fly humans further than uh, typically Venus or Mars yep. right now because we are we have only chemical propulsion. So, but maybe in the next centuries we will find other ways to travel further faster. But is is justification to go to Mars now? Uh, just to prevent the uh, human race to disappear completely because of the uh, Third World War is a very dramatic justification. I don't totally adhere because it's, uh, it's uh, I think the, the, the best thing to do is first to find solution to that problem now on Earth. Yeah. Because, because humans 
who are able to create problems for themselves are totally able to find solutions to those uh, to their own problems it's just a question it is just uh, our own problem and and problem solving questions and uh, so the first priority should be put on how to convince the humankind now to solve its own problem that it is the sole responsible for but in the long term i agree with him we need to learn how to live on other celestial bodies than earth because life will will be extinct at some point on earth not the whole life but the current form of life yeah. we have today and also if we're to go into space and try and practice to go into mars should we do this by going back to the moon and, and sit by a moon base does that work uh, I, I'm not sure about your question. Your question is, do, should we go to the moon first? Yeah, and have a moon base there. Is that worth testing that out and see if that works? Yes, I, I am convinced personally that, you know, Mars is so new. I mean, as far as human spaceflight, there are so totally new challenges, uh, especially psychological. You know, humans have never been far enough that they couldn't see the Earth anymore. They could always talk to Earth. They could always return on Earth within a few hours or yeah. within two or three days maximum. Uh, when the first humans go to Mars for the first time in humankind, humans will not see the Earth anymore. They won't see it through the window. They don't know where it is. They will see the sun and nothing else. And opposite to the sun, they will see stars and planets if they switch off all the lights in the cockpit. But the Earth is on the other side and they won't be able to talk to the Earth, and I think the worst is they won't be able to count anymore at all on the capability to come back on Earth in a very short time period. From ISS, within three or four hours, they are on the surface if yeah. they decide to leave now. From the Moon, when they were away from the lunar module, within two or three days. Yeah. So um, it's, it's quite new, and I do believe that uh, the technology for working, living on the moon is most likely not exactly the same as for Mars because the environment is not the same. The kind of uh, dust is not the same. The atmosphere is not the same. But the operational experience we can gain on the moon will be very useful. What does that mean to build a, a base? What does that mean to resupply a base? What does that mean to, to cycle the crews? Uh, how to organize the recycling technologies for human waste, etc. I think the moon is a good platform to learn all those things, especially operations. When I mean operations, it's not technology or technique. It's how to use things. Uh, you know, it's a, the challenges when you are an astronaut are dual. You have to learn your ship, you have to learn the technical aspect of your ship, mm -hmm. how it is made of, how does it work, and then you have to learn how to use it, and how to use space technology, how to use space, uh, space equipment, space hardware, is a challenge in itself, regardless the technology it is using. The operational use is something that takes a lot of time. We, we spend 70% of our time more how learning how to use a space shuttle than how it is built yeah. when I was uh, training at JSC. 
And the moon is, is, when you're on the moon, you see the Earth, you talk to the Earth real time, you can come back in case of emergency. It's, it's, it's not that difficult. So we can prepare and learn for ourselves what are the most critical challenges, what are the best operational scenarios for uh, putting a base you know, on another solar system. And, uh, and then we will go to Mars. My prediction is in the, th in the late 20s, most likely mid-30s, we will have first human going around Mars, flying around Mars, maybe orbiting Mars and coming back. Yeah. And only in the 40s, 50s, we might, we might land on Mars because landing is really, really hard on Mars. It's like on, the mo it's like on vacuum. Yeah. And you cannot count on the atmosphere to help. Uh, maybe for some high aero braking, yes. But for the final descent, you need a crane, like for Curiosity, you know, like the lunar module. Uh, you need the thrusters to compensate the weight to go down slowly and land. And, and uh, if you want a habitat, it's a minimum uh, 15, 20 tons. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge, and you have to take all the propellant there. You, you cannot use the propellant that is on Mars to help the descent. And then going back up is even, is even worse. So it's, uh, it's more in the 40s, 50s time frame, I think. But, you know, Elon Musk is uh, exciting people. He's uh, making uh, people talk about Mars, so he's uh, sometimes maybe exaggerating because I, I, I'm pretty sure he's is uh, he knows what he talks about. He knows what are the things that he can really do and what are the things that are just a bit uh, exaggerated just to trigger interest. Yeah. Well, at the moment, Elon Musk and Richard Branson have brought in lower space flights with their companies, Virgin Galactic and SpaceX. Do you think that as the cost comes down, more people will actually go in space? Uh, I haven't heard about uh, spa is, uh, SpaceX doing suborbital. It, it he, he has he's, he has started doing that, but he's planning to have like a Ryanair flying to space at a very low price, like Virgin Atlantic, Virgin like Virgin okay. does. Okay. So within about five years, it's going to be achieve, uh, affordable. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so so with some delay, but uh, uh, yes, I, I do believe that in the next uh, in the next 24 months, in the next two years we will have the first commercial space tourism suborbital astronaut flying in space for a few minutes. Yeah. I cannot bet who will be the first because each of the three has its own, you know, advance, you know, uh, uh, new, um, new origin has flown twice. Yeah. The standard flight path, you know, 1,000 kilometers back with the same rocket. Uh, refurbishing the whole thing, the capsule and the rocket. So it might be the first. I think he's today uh, ahead of the two others. But uh, as soon as Spaceship 2 is ready to fly, I, I bet uh, Virgin Galactic is, is, uh, has put forward uh, a quite uh, accelerated uh, test flight uh, program to, to, to try to catch up with the delay after the crash of yeah. Spaceship 1, uh, Spaceship 2. Uh, First prototype, so probably uh, so guided flight uh, the first semester, uh, powered flight the uh, second half of this year, uh, more prop, more uh, power flight uh, 
in the first half of uh, 2017 and maybe in the second half of 2017 the first commercial flight. You know, I, I don't know what are the uh, FA requirements in detail, but uh, whatever the company, I think they will have to fly a few tens um, uh, empty, I mean empty, not empty, empty of civilian passengers. Yeah. Uh, there will be uh, 20, 30, I don't know exactly the number, but around that uh, order of magnitude test flights in a standard profile before we can reasonably consider the flights sufficiently safe to fly non-professional people on board. And it will take time. It will take another two years, typically. Uh, but definitely, definitely before the end of the decade, we will have, I, I do believe, there is a market, there are motivated entrepreneurs, the technology is uh, mature enough for a few of those who are quite advanced, who are already flying. Uh, Excore will fly this year, that's pretty sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know which one will be the first. I don't know which one will attract uh, most, of, most of the customers first, but uh, I think Blue Origin is not uh, selling tickets yet. Yeah. Maybe they are doing like us at Noves Pass, uh, you know, uh, at Novespas, we sell uh, uh, tickets for private passengers, but we have put them on sale only once we were sure of the qualification of the agenda in order to maintain the initial date to the end. And we, we, main, we, we never change our date. Yeah. Our first date two years ago was the one, and we flew that date for and uh, Blue Origin is uh, probably doing the same. Virgin Galactic has another model of marketing. They sold already five, six hundred tickets. I don't know exactly. Yeah. But I'm sure they will. Uh, they will fly soon too. As soon as they resume flights, uh, if they don't, if they are not unlucky like uh, last time, you know, we still don't know exactly why the pilot uh, moved this uh, control in, in flight. Yeah. But, uh, uh, their, their concept is quite interesting. Uh, I'm eager to see the Lynx fly. You know, it's a different concept again, but uh, for sure there is a market. Uh, I mean, all those uh, very rich uh, entrepreneurs. I'm pretty sure they made their uh, they made their uh, additions and subtractions to yeah. to see how long it will take before they can gain money. But uh, all the studies have shown that between seven at the best and ten years at the worst, uh, they start having a return on investment. So. Yeah, because 30, 40 years ago, if you were to fly on a normal jet plane around the world, you couldn't afford it because the price was too high. But when people yeah. like Ryanair came in, they bought a price down. And these guys are begging, because it used to cost to go to space. $20 million was the cost. One guy paid, I think Dennis Tito, paid with, with Russia to go in space. And if you can get that for a quarter million with Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Galactic, it will come down again. As more guys enter the race to bring space tourism, it will come down and make it more affordable. It's going to be a good thing. I don't think the price will go much down because, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the price is directly derived from the law of physics. And, okay. uh, you know, suborbital flight is about 10 times slower than orbital flight. And the energy is the square of velocity. So 
suborbital flights is about 100 times less energetic than orbital flights. I mean, I'm doing it simple math. Yeah. And uh, the price is 100 times less. Uh, 20 million Denis Tito paid uh, 15 yeah. years ago, and uh, it's 200,000 for for Virgin Galactic initial tickets. And, and that's the price it costs. Yeah. I don't think their margin is much. Uh, it's not like a luxurious product where you pay far more that's what you can find that uh, in a low cost company or low cost product or yeah. there is no low cost uh, suborbital flight or orbital flight the law of physics impose very high quantity of energy involved and that's what it costs and and i, I don't see how the the price can can reduce much uh, if they find a way to fly very regularly the price will go down a bit mm-hmm. but not by a factor of 10 yeah. Maybe it will reduce to maybe half the cost. Yeah. So we will remain in the same order of magnitude. It's like for uh, launching satellites. You know, uh, Ariane Espace will go down below the 100 million. Uh, SpaceX is around 60 million. It may go down to 10 or 20 at the best. But it will still be many millions to go or- to orbit. Yeah. And it will still be each launch uh, around uh, around maybe uh, I mean few hundred thousand euros to go suborbital and there is no way to go lower that's that's just the cost of the work to be done to refurbish the engine and to to make it work because because of the energy amount uh, involved okay and also when you were when you flew with NASA on space shuttle flights you flew three of them which flight was the one you, you enjoyed the most? Oh, I enjoyed each of them for different reasons. I enjoyed uh, the first one, especially for the view of the Earth, because it was, it was the highest inclination orbit ever flown by human, uh, by astronauts, you know, uh, 57 degrees, yeah. the higher inclination flown by the space shuttle or by any human-made uh, spaceship. And when you fly on a high inclination orbit, you cover visually far more land and Earth surface than when you fly due east uh, from uh, your launch pad. And since it was a mission dedicated to atmosphere research, we were flying upside down the m- most of the time, and, and that's the best mission ever I, I could have dreamt of for looking at the Earth. My second mission was, I, I loved it a lot for the human relationship, for the humans, you know, resupplying yeah. the space station me and uh, changing, uh, you know, we had an international dinner I had organized on board, and it was very emotional from a human, you know, relationship aspect. But uh, the third one, you know, uh, considered as uh, one of the king missions, in human spaceflight history, uh, going to the Hubble Space Telescope, for me it's uh, it's very uh, it's a mission I enjoyed a lot for serving science. Yeah. The feeling that we help science to to do giant leaps uh, because we improve the telescope, we gave we gave life back to the telescope in our mission, as opposed to the others. It was it was much more than. Uh, maintenance mission, it was a totally a repair mission. Uh, serving science was giving me uh, quite a pride, but uh, 
as a private, you know, as uh, from a personal, um, uh, personal emotional point of view, I would say the first two are are the best. Uh, but for the technical challenge, for the intellectual uh, uh, satisfaction and uh, reward, the third was the best. So I cannot really compare. Yeah. Now, if you ask me, which of the three missions you would, if if I had, if I go back 20 years ago, and you give me the choice, you have the right to fly only one of the three missions. Knowing them, I would choose probably the second one. Yeah. That's good. And uh, what at the moment you're working with European uh, Astronaut Cup Corps? What does that entail? Uh, all astronauts, when they are not training for a space flight or not in flight, uh, they are assigned collateral duties to support the program, to review uh, new equipment, new procedures, and, uh, for example, I'm, I'm the, the supporting astronaut for the Mitterrand project of ESA. It's a, it's a robotic uh, remote uh, capability ESA is developing that has been already subject to experiment from ISS, like Andreas Morgensen uh, through some of it. You know, it's the idea of astronauts in space remotely controlling robots real-time on the surface. Because we think that the first humans to go to Mars will not land, as I said before, they will stay in orbit around Mars and they will uh, control robots on the surface in a far more efficient way than we can do from Earth with a big delay, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I will, I am uh, also I'm going to be part of the review of the next uh, advanced control life support system that ESA is uh, developing, you know, with uh, a very advanced uh, recycling of uh, carbon dioxide, uh, uh, oxygen, etc. You know, this is this is what we do. We we provide our expertise coming from our space flight experience and space flight training and using uh, space hardware to help engineers develop the next generation of equipment, of systems, and and possibly spaceship. We are also uh, assigned uh, two or three days a month to various uh, public relations events. Uh, this is our ambassador role of our space agency. Uh, you see when Tim Peake comes back from his flight, he will likely spend uh, almost half of his time for a few months to go across the UK, across Europe, talk to children, to scholars, to students, to uh, at public events. Uh, he will visit governments. Uh, he, will, he will visit uh, the Queen, probably. Yeah. This is very important because um, it is known that astronauts are very popular because of uh, the way that people see them as uh, heroes, yeah. even though we don't consider ourselves heroes, but that's the way people consider us because we do things that uh, require you know, some guts that some people think they don't have. But uh, we have the duty to represent uh, our space agency and... Uh, we have an ambassador role to explain the space program and why it is important to to uh, support uh, all type of space activities, you know, communication, uh, navigation, uh, meteorology, earth observation, 
and uh, and of course space exploration, including human spaceflight. And uh, and as far as I'm concerned, I am working for ESA only half time, although ESA pays me full time. Yeah. And I am and I am seconded to a small private private company which owns the Airbus Zero G, and that company pays back ESA half of my salary. Okay. So that uh, I I am. Uh, working about half time for ESA and half time for another space. Okay, and when it comes to uh, the way in, in the cinema has portrayed space travel, has it been portrayed very, very accurately? And what would be your favorite sci-fi movie? I think uh, we have uh, seen uh, three famous movies uh, recently, you know, uh, in 2015, uh, The Martian, uh, in 2014, Interstellar, and 2013, Gravity. I think they are all very interesting because they all uh, portray accurately uh, their own part of space travel. Gravity is very, very realistic as far as the sensory experience. Yeah. If you don't regard the, the if, if you don't look at the scenario, uh, part of it is realistic, but not all of it. But the sensory experience. You know, what you feel in terms of acoustic, the vision of Earth, the vision of the spaceship inside, outside, uh, the motions, um, it's exactly like that. Exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, interstellar, I think in terms of uh, law of astronautics, uh, is quite realistic. They don't go into details, but the way they portray the challenge of rendezvous and docking uh, when you rejoin a space station is, is quite good. But that's not the major part of that movie. The, most of the movie is about uh, Einsteinian uh, cosmology and uh, and the future of Earth. And uh, The Martian uh, is very realistic about the way NASA astronauts are thinking and working and doing, uh, you know, always looking for solutions to problems. Yeah. Uh, there is only one big, uh, you know, deviation from the reality. Uh, that, I mean, the, the major deviation in the Martian is the initial uh, storm that was necessary to trigger the whole scenario. Yeah. Uh, it is impossible to have such a storm on Mars. Yeah. Because the pressure is too low, so you will never see a wind, even a strong wind, uh, blowing with such a force on on objects. It's uh, that can then only happen in a dense atmosphere. But all the rest is exactly what I have gone through myself. We are, we are trained to be problem solvers. And we are trained to think there will be problems and we will be able to solve them. You will never see an astronaut in a simulator or even in space. Oh, shit, we got this. How, how shall we... Uh, what shall we do? As soon as we have a problem, is oh, a problem, okay, let's find a solution. That's the way we are minded. Uh, that's the way NASA trains us, ESA trains us, Japanese Space Agency, Canadian Space Agency. We are trained to learn to solve problems, even even combination of problems that have not been solved before or not seen before. Yeah. And uh, this positive spirit and... Uh, 
the sense of uh, duty of reaching the goal and achieving the mission is is quite well represented so to answer your question uh, space flight overall is quite uh, well represented in the most recent uh, sci-fi movies yeah i'm not talking about you know like uh, star trek or star wars yeah where uh, where the law of physics are continuously uh, violated uh, across the, the the whole movie, uh, and that's okay. That's okay. It's a different kind of uh, you know. It's a more yeah. space opera, but the most recent movies are quite good in terms of each one on its own category, on its own uh, you know uh, specialty, is giving some realistic view of the challenges of spaceflight. Yeah. Years ago, I saw a movie called Marooned. It was about uh, NASA going to the moon in '69, and uh, there was a problem with one of the flight with the, with, the, with the flight itself, and they had to actually land land on the moon. They were doing a flight around the moon to see if they could do this, but a problem occurred with the with, with the module, so it landed on the moon. And when they're on the moon, the astronauts were told to try and figure out a, try and figure out a way of preserving your, your oxygen. We're going to come and get you. As you said before, they were finding ways of there could be a problem, you solve it, and we'll help you as we can. Which is kind of yeah. what you mentioned as well. What What is the name of that movie? Marooned. I'm marooned. I haven't seen that movie. It's marooned, with Gregory yes. Peck I, I, and Gene Hackman. It's very good. I, I heard. I heard about it. Yes. Yeah, it yes. was done about 1969. It was the year after the year after the movie done with uh, Kubrick. Space Odyssey 2001 Space Odyssey, oh, which is a good movie. But that, that again was again some that was, was impossible because there are some things in the movie you didn't know if it was true or not. Because again, law of physics, they were saying that they were going to Jupiter. And you think, how did they get there so fast? You know, the fundamentals of space travel is the fact that a lot of energy is required to go up and yeah. to come back. Uh, when you're in space, you are confined. That means in a small volume, yeah, and isolated. That means away from anybody that can help you. Yeah. Uh, another fundamental thing: when you go to space, your obsession is the mission. You don't go to space just for, uh, you know, with the priority goal to to have fun or to become glorious or uh, the, the number one thing that obsess that obsesses our mind is the mission. Yeah. We need to succeed. We don't want to come back and say, oh, it was too difficult, we didn't manage to do this or this. This is our fear. Our main fear is to come back and and uh, say that we we couldn't do it. So the kind of... Uh, we are very motivated by the, the, the strong desire to achieve the goal, to reach the goal, and that's uh, one of the fundamentals. And the second fundamental of space travel is the uh, team spirit, yeah, which is uh, uh, nourished, which is uh, you know, um, which gets its energy by the fact we have a common goal, and by the fact that during training we develop mutual trust and communication between each other. And uh, what I like very much in the the Martian, the challenge that is. Uh, uh, that, that the, the crew, the Hermes crew is facing is almost exactly the same challenge several years ago 
I was giving giving to the astronaut candidates of ESA when I was in the jury. You know, uh, yeah. I was in the one of the intermediate jury where there were only 200 left, and uh, uh, when that was my turn to interview the candidates, uh, I used to put them into into a challenge. Like, uh, you know, you just, uh, you are a commander of the space shuttle, you just depart the ISS, you did your first uh, separation burn, and then you have a, a crisis uh, communication call from ISS uh, where they have an emergency, and if you don't go back, they will die. But if you go back, you uh, you get rid of all your margins to come back safe on Earth. What do you do? You know? yeah. Do you put at risk your crew? But you give a chance to the other to save the other one, or do you maintain uh, the rules on board and uh, you get back for sure safe on Earth? I mean for sure, yeah, more sure. And and you you abandon. I mean you abandon, you, you you let the crew on board ISS uh, most likely die. What do you do? And there is not one good answer to that question, but uh, it's it's an interesting. Uh, scenario that uh, was uh, I, I was uh, you know inventing uh, for interviewing the candidates okay I had the same scuba diving I had a similar one in a spacewalk to the I can imagine a lot of uh, when you're doing this kind of stuff you don't really think until until you're there and you offer this, offer this scenario, you don't know how to think. Like, right now you're telling me this, I don't know how it would react. But when you're suddenly put in the spot, you've got to think, within 10 seconds, what do I do? The longer I wait, the longer, the worse things can get. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jean-Francois, thanks very much for your time. And for okay. your, your time. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Bernard. You too, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Irish Tech News Podcast with Jean-Francois Clairvoy, the French astronaut. This podcast was the second and last in a series for Space Week. If you enjoyed our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us via iTunes. Thank you.